Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Navadrip Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai, Gangamai Juna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tosi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhakti Devi Ki All glories to the assembled All glories to the assembled All glories to the assembled All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga, all glories to Shiva Prabhupada. Namaste Saraswati Devi Gorvani Pachani Vasasis and Rani Paskajade Satana. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Uta Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamsha Shri Rupam Sadvajatam Sahagana Raganatam Vitam Sam Sadhiva Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Padutana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lavita Shri Vishakam Vitamsha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya 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 April 25th, 2013 in Germany reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 9, Chapter 5, Dravasamuni's Life Spared, Text 25. Evam Vidaneka Gunasaraja Evam Vidaneka Gunasaraja Paratmani Brahmani Vasudeve Paratmani Brahmani Vasudeve Kriya Kalapai Samuvaha Bhaktim Kriya Kalapai Samuvaha Bhaktim Vava Virinchan Nirayam Chakara Ladies, <laughs> 
Varieties of good qualities. Saha, he Maharaj Ambrish, Raja, the King, Paraatmani, unto the Super Soul, Brahmani, unto Brahman, Vasudeva, unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna Vasudeva. Kriya Kalapai by practical activities Samuvaha executed Bhaktim devotional service Yaya by such activities Avirinchyan beginning from the topmost planet Nirayan down to the hellish planets Chakara he experienced that there is danger everywhere translation and purport by in this way because of devotional service Maharaj Ambarisha who was endowed with varieties of transcendental qualities, was completely aware of Brahman, Paramatma, and the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and thus he executed devotional service perfectly. Because of his devotion, he thought even the topmost planet of this material world no better than the hellish planets. Purport. An exalted and pure devotee, like Maharaj Ambarisha, is in full awareness of Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. In other words, a devotee of Vasudeva Krishna is in full knowledge of the other features of the Absolute Truth. The Absolute Truth is realized in three features, which are? Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, Subjutin. A devotee of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vasudeva, knows everything. Vasudevam Savram Iti. Because Vasudeva Krishna includes both Paramatma and Brahman. One does not have to realize Paramatma by the yoga system. For the devotee, always thinking of Vasudeva is the topmost yogi. Yogi Namapisarvesham. And as far as Jnana is concerned, why is Prabhupada talking about Jnana? Yes. As far as jnana is concerned, if one is a perfect devotee of Vasudeva, he is the greatest Mahatma. Vasudeva Sarvamiti Sa Mahatma Sadur Labaha. A Mahatma is one who has full knowledge of the absolute truth. Thus, Maharaja Ambarisha, being a devotee of the personality of Godhead, 
was in full awareness of Paramatma, Brahman, Maya, the material world, the spiritual world, and how things are going on everywhere. Everything was known to him. Yasmin vignate sarvam evam vignatam bhavanti. Because the devotee knows Vasudeva, he knows everything within the creation of Vasudeva. Vasudeva sarvam iti samahatmas durlabha. It's the second time Prabhupada's quoted that verse. Such a devotee does not give much value to the highest standard of happiness within this material world. Narayana parasarve na kutaschana bibhuti sargaraparga narakeshu apitulyarta sar apitulyarta darshinaha Bhagavatam six seventeen twenty eight. What's that in reference to? What's that verse? Who spoke that verse in reference to what? From the sixth canto, that should give you some clue. Devotee, the devotee of Narayana doesn't care. Hellish planets, higher planets, doesn't matter. There was someone in the sixth canto who was had to do something really awful, and he didn't mind. And the person observing this said, the devotees don't care if they go to heaven or hell. <coughs> no. Okay, the person who said this is Lord Shiva. Who's he talking about? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the person who told this other devotee basically to go to a hellish situation. And he said, the devotees don't care what situation they're in. Titriketu, yes. And Shiva's talking to? Perfect. Because he's fixed in devotional service, a devotee does not regard any position in the material world as important. Srila Prabodhananda Sarasvati has therefore written Chaitanya Chandranvita 5. Now this is the first prophet quotes a lot. Kaivalyam narakayate Tridashapur Akasha Pushyate. Okay, so what does that mean? Kaivalyam Naraka. What's Naraka? Yes, oneness is like hell. Tridashapur Akasha Pushpayate. What's an Akasha Pushpa? Akasha means the. A pie in the sky. Right, so the Sanskrit is flower in the sky, akasha pushpa. In English we say a pie in the sky. In Sanskrit they say a flower in the sky. So what's like a pie in the sky or a flower in the sky? The heavenly pleasure. Durdantendriya. Do you know what danta means? It's like dental. It means teeth. Durdantendriya, what's your indriya? Durdantendriya kala sarpa. What's a, what's a sarpa? A snake. Patali protkata damstrayate. And we have damstra again. So these very strong teeth of the serpent of the senses in general. All the senses have been removed. Vishram Purna Sukhayate. Vishram is the? Like Vishvarup? The universe. Purna? Complete. Complete. Sukhayate. Sukha is? Happiness. 
Vidi Mahendra Dishakitayate Yat Karuna Kataksha Vaibhava Vatantan Goram Evastuma. For one who becomes a pure devotee through devotional service to great personalities like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Kaivalya or merging into Brahman appears no better than hell. That's actually an astonishing statement because Brahman happiness is so much greater than anything you can get in the material world. But for the devotee who's serving Lord Chaitanya, he thinks it's like hell. As far as the heavenly planets are concerned, to a devotee, they are like a phantasmagoria or will-o'-the-wisp. And as far as yogic perfections is concerned, a devotee does not care a fig for such perfection, since the purpose of yogic perfection is achieved automatically by the devotee. Prabhupada doesn't translate about the the senses having their poisonous teeth removed. This is all possible when one becomes a devotee of the Lord through the medium of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's instructions. So, of course, because Goram, Prabhupada Saraswati, is talking about Goram. Evam vidha neka guna saraja paratmani brahmani vasudeve kriya kalapai samuvaha bhaktin yaya virinchyan nirayam stakara. In this way, because of devotional service, Maharaj Ambarisha, who was endowed with varieties of transcendental qualities, was completely aware of Brahman, Paramatma, and the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and thus he executed devotional service perfectly. Because of his devotion, he thought even the topmost planet of this material world no better than the hellish planets. So this is one of the many, many descriptions of how devotional service is the best. And not only that it's the best, but it includes everything else. So isn't that what everybody is looking for? When you buy something, don't you always want to buy the best that you can possibly afford? Yes? If you don't buy the best, it's because you can't afford it, or maybe it doesn't exist. But if you have enough money, and the best exists, you buy the best, correct? Every man wants to marry the best woman. Every woman wants to marry the best man. Every parent wants to have the best children. Everyone wants to live in the best place. There's ratings, you know, what's the best place to live? Everyone wants to go to the best school, be, belong to the best nation. Yes? Of course, in this material world, it's very hard to find the best. There's always something better, and you think you find the best, and it's not really like that. You think, okay, I'm going to live in the best place and have the best shoes and the best friends and the... And it doesn't quite work out that way. But that's what we want. And what's really astonishing about bhakti is that not only is it the best, but it includes everything else. So that doesn't happen materially. Right? If you have the best shoes, they don't include all the features of all shoes. You cannot find shoes that are the best boots and the best walking shoes and the best summer sandals all in one pair of shoes. Is that possible? You're asleep. Is that possible? No. No. You have to have different pairs of shoes. You have to have one pair of shoes for the summer, and you have to have one pair of shoes for the snow. Am I correct? You can't get one pair of shoes that does everything. You have to have different. You have to have one kind of 
outer cloth for the summer and one kind of outer cloth for the winter. Even if you find the best, it's only the best for some things. It cannot be the best for everything. It doesn't include everything else. You have to have, well, I have to have the best of this and the best of this and the best of this and the best of this. Suppose you could find something that was the best and everything else was within it. You didn't need any other. You didn't need something else in addition. Would that be nice? Hmm. And suppose this best thing that includes everything else already belonged to you. It was already yours. You didn't have to exactly do something to earn it. It was already there. It was yours. And all you had to do was go and get it. What do you think? But isn't it interesting... That very few people even think that such a thing exists. Most people think that talks of such things are just myths. There's nothing really except what we have before us in our senses. And even the people who try for perfection, very few of them find this topmost thing. Although it's our nature. Every jiva, as Lord Brahma says, dayabak, it's our inheritance. An inheritance is something you naturally have. The only thing you have to do, Prabhupada says, to get your inheritance is stay alive. You don't have to do something in particular to get your inheritance. Just be alive. So all one has to do is be spiritually alive and we can get this inheritance. So when one gets this, one sees one has everything else included. Quite interesting. So Maharaj Ambarish was not trying to achieve Brahman separately. How do people try to achieve Brahman? Well, there's three basic methods. Either they do pious activity for purification called karma yoga, or they study philosophy and try to become intellectually detached as in jnana yoga, or they meditate on the Brahman as in jnana yoga. But Ambarish Maharaj wasn't doing any of those things, yet he realized Brahman. What does that mean, he realized Brahman? He realized that aham brahmasmi, I am a soul. I have nothing to do with this body. I have the same qualities of God. I am one with God in terms of spiritual essence. I cannot be hurt by anything. I'm never born. I never die. I have nothing to do with this world. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to realize? Yes? Would everybody like to realize it? Yeah. Now, if that's all you realize, then Prabodhananda Swami says, well, that's like hell. Because there's no activity. Just to realize, all you get, you get peace. So peace is better than fear and anxiety, but who wants to just be in peace all the time? It'd be boring. Many people think that's what spiritual life is, you know, just shanti. But it'd be boring. Like people like to go to the ocean 
and just sit on the sand and look at the waves. One wave after another wave after another wave. Practically no variety. And they'll just stare at the ocean. But you want to stare at the ocean forever? People go there for a short time and then they want to go back to their activities. So if you said, okay, the rest of your life we're going to chain you to a chair staring at the ocean. It's interesting because people pay a lot of money and take a lot of trouble, save up their money to go to the ocean. Yes? And stare at the water. But if we said, okay, rest of your life you have to be chained to this chair staring at the water. Oh, that would be hell. So Maharaj Ambarish had this peace naturally, but not exclusively. He had more than that. Then what about Paramatma realization? Paramatma realization, you realize, right? Brahmano hi pratista ham amritasya vyastuta, saspatasya tatarmasya sukasya ikantikasya. You realize beyond Brahman, I am the basis of the Brahman, which is immortal, imperishable, and eternal, and it's a constitutional position of ultimate happiness. So beyond that, you see Krishna as the Paramatma, the abode, the witness, and the most dear friend. The abode, the witness, the abode, the shelter. Not just happiness and peace, but the shelter. Everybody, all of us, we want some shelter. We want some stability. And the most dear friend. So I've decided that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. How to become the friend of God. The eighth process of devotional service. So that Krishna is our most dear friend. The Paramatma is going with us from one body to another, to another, to another. Do we have any friend like that? Is that possible? You all know Franz Kafka, who wrote the story Metamorphosis? You're all Germans, you should know that. You know that? Story Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka? Nobody learns anything in school anymore. I don't know what they learn in school anymore. Nobody learns any of the classics. Anyway, so this family, they go to wake up their family member one morning, and he's turned into a giant bug. And so they just are horrified. So imagine, you know, your husband, your wife, your child, your mother, your father, your best friend. You go to their room to wake them up in the morning. The other brahmachari in the ashram. You know, time to get up, Prabhu. It's time for Mangalartik. And instead of the other brahmachari, they're just a big cockroach. Would you love them? Would you be their friend? Not likely, huh? You would probably say, ah, get rid of this thing. So Krishna stays with us for one body to another. Yes. Ishwara Sarabhutana Mridesha Dhanachistrati Brahmayan Sarabhutana Yantra Rudrani Maya Whatever yantra, whatever machine we're on, Krishna is following us in that machine even if we have a very uh, horrible body. So I don't know if they have them here, but in America we have these plants called poison ivy and poison oak. Do you have them in Europe? No. No? Oh, you're very fortunate. So these plants are so envious, if you just touch them, you get a rash, and it itching and burning for like two or three weeks, you can't sleep. You just touch the plant. So just imagine how envious a living entity would have to be. Touch me and you'll burn for three weeks. That is their mood. 
or the mosquitoes. In order to get my food, I will suck your blood and give you malaria. So how envious would you have to be? And yet Krishna is in the heart of the mosquito, he's in the heart of the poison plants, he's in the heart of the scorpions, the spiders. He's in the hearts of the demons. So the best friend... And no matter how offensive and how nasty and how evil we are, no matter how evil of things we have done, how many offenses we've committed, Krishna stays there in the heart as the best friend. Do you have any friend like that? Do you have any friend that you can offend and be envious of and blaspheme and they still stay right next to you with love, always giving you good advice? And that as the Paramatma, the Lord is fulfilling the desires of all living entities. How merciful. Even if you want something nasty and horrible, okay, if that's what you want. Here's the way to do it. Here's the karma you have to perform to get that thing. So to know the paramatma, so then one is filled with knowledge and has a sense of security and friendship. But if that's all you have, there's not the full variety of rasa available with the paramatma. And just basically with paramatma only shantaras. You can just have this sense of wonder. What a wonderful friend I have. What a wonderful witness. How wonderful is God? How wonderful, how wonderful. Most of the religions of the world don't go beyond this Brahman and Paramatma. Actually, one time I was at an educational convention put on by a Christian organization, and in the beginning, just like we start with Kirtan, so they started with some hymns, and they were singing this song that was just like just like that Bhagavad Gita verse, immortal, imperishable. That's all they were singing. I thought they were worshipping the Brahman why they worshipped the Paramatma so Ambarish didn't again how do you achieve Paramatma Paramatma, yes what did they sing? it was some Christian hymn I don't know the name of it but it was sounded exactly like that Bhagavad Gita verse I was there with some other devotees and we thought oh they're singing that Bhagavad Gita verse on the 14th chapter it was was practically the same words I don't remember Prabhu was many years ago I didn't write down the name of the hymn. Of course, you know, in Corinthians, there's a verse that's the same as Yakiroshi Yadagnashi, if you want to find correlations with the Bible. Same, practically the same verse. But in any case, Maharaj Ambarishi didn't undergo the process. How do you realize Paramatma? What's the process? Jnana Yoga. You have to go and meditate. Prabhupada's quoting here, Yogi Namapisarvesham. So Maharaj Ambarishi didn't go in the forest and meditate on the Paramatma but he automatically achieved knowledge of the Paramatma. And what about material things? He had detachment from the material world. He saw that anything in the material world, it's not very, as Prabhupada says here, it's not very important. It's just not very important. That's the only way, by the way, to be happy in this world, is to have this opulence of renunciation. It's quite interesting that materialists generally go for the other five opulences. Wealth, fame, strength, knowledge, and beauty. And they're not so interested, at least in Kali Yuga, in this opulence of renunciation. 
But of all the material opulences, and those, of course, are also exist as spiritual opulences, do you know the opulence of renunciation is the best? Do you know why? Suppose you have beauty. Do you get to keep it? Do you get to keep your beauty? Sorry for all you beautiful young people here in the room. The news is you don't get to keep it. And there's nothing you can do to keep it. If you go to the plastic surgeon, they just do this. You ever seen somebody with plastic surgery? They don't look young, they just look stretched. Right. And are you, are you in control of whether or not you keep your beauty? Is that under your control? No. What about wealth? Can you keep your wealth? Can you control whether or not you keep your wealth? Is that under your control? No. What about fame? Can you control whether or not you keep your fame? You can be famous one minute and infamous the next, or famous one minute and unknown the next. What about knowledge? All you have to do is just fall down the stairs, hit your head, end of your knowledge. Can you control that? Or you can know all kinds of things and then the world changes and your knowledge is useless. It's like my husband was a Fortran programmer, and then for many years he ran a computer hardware business. And when he wanted to get back into programming, nobody was programming with Fortran anymore. His knowledge had become outdated. And what about strength? All it takes is one disease, one accident, getting old. Can you control these things? No, they're dependent on so many things outside your control. But what about renunciation? Can somebody take that away? Can time take away your renunciation? Can other people take it away? Can some accident or disease take it away? Interesting, isn't it? And when you have renunciation, that actually gives a beauty to all the other opulences. A beautiful person who's proud is not really so beautiful, are they? An intelligent person who's proud, again, they're not so attractive. Wealthy person who's proud and attached. What we find most attractive is somebody who's detached. So Maharaj Ambarish had this also. He had the greatest of all the material opulences, renunciation. He had detachment. When you have detachment, you cannot be controlled by anyone or anything. You have freedom. The other material opulences put you under the control of other people and circumstances and fill you with anxiety. So he had this also. So he had Brahman understanding of peace. He had Paramatma understanding of shelter and the most dear friend. And he had the greatest of all the material opulences, detachment, renunciation. Plus, of course, he also had all the other opulences as the great king. These were all included in his bhakti. And how did he get that? He got that very simply here. Kriya. Kalapai samuvahabhaktim. Kriya means what? Activities. He did activities of devotion. By activities of devotion, he attained the personality of Godhead. He attained a relationship with the, the Supreme Personality of Godhead as Krishna, as Vasudeva. So that is how we get the very best thing by dedicating, interestingly, even our senses, which is Prabodhananda Saraswati says here, 
When they're engaged in service, their poisonous teeth are broken. Even the most dangerous thing, our senses, the most dangerous thing is this material world. When we engage this body and the senses in a loving relationship with Krishna, how? Savaimana Krishna Padara Vindaya, with mind attached to Krishna, not just ritualistically or externally. Then one gets everything. And we see that. We see as one serves Krishna with one's senses, with devotion, with bhakti, not just kriya, but kriya bhakti, with love. Then Krishna is the source of everything, and you realize everything. Now, of course, when we say here the devotee knows everything, Right, as Prabhupada's quoting here. Yes, min vignate sarvam eva vignatam bhavanti. The devotee knows everything. It doesn't necessarily mean the devotee knows how to spell words in Polish or the devotee knows how to change a tire. It's not that we don't mean that kind of knowledge. We mean that the devotee has all of their desires fulfilled. Anything that they could want, any achievement, any experience is included. So why not go for that? We don't have to go for anything separate from bhakti. That is the main lesson of this verse in purport. You don't have to do bhakti and. You don't have to do bhakti and pious activities. You don't have to do bhakti and philosophical detachment. You don't have to do bhakti and yogic meditation. You don't have to do bhakti and material striving. You just simply have to do bhakti and everything is included. Of course, if you're doing bhakti, you will be a pious person. If you do bhakti, you will study philosophy. If you do bhakti, you will meditate. But they're not, you don't see them as separate from bhakti. Don't think, I have to do bhakti and something else. I have to do bhakti and something because everything else is included. It's not only the best thing, but it's the best thing that has everything else within it. Whatever else one could desire, material opulence, peace, shelter, friendship, and then at the personality of Godhead, all adventure and relationship. Krishna is described as Akila Rasa Murti. He is the form of all Rasas. Actually, anything we're trying to achieve, Prabhupada said, we're trying to enjoy some rasa. We're trying to enjoy some taste. So whatever rasa is there, that is included. Just like there are some ice cream shops, they have so many flavors of ice cream. There's one company in America, they advertise 33 flavors. In Dubai, we have a restaurant where we sell many different flavors of ice cream, even fresh fruit like Chico, you've had Chico in India, maybe those little brown fruits, fresh Chico ice cream and Sitapal custard apple ice, all different flavors of ice cream. So imagine if there was one kind of ice cream that had all the flavors within it. You didn't have to take a scoop of this and a scoop of that and a scoop of this and a scoop of that. The one thing, this relationship with Krishna, that gives you everything else included. And if we're not experiencing then it may be because we are mixing our bhakti. But if we go simply for bhakti, then we will find everything else. There's no need to do something separately from bhakti. So that we should examine. Am I engaged in the activities of bhakti with the mood of bhakti? As Prabhupada translates it, devotional service, not just service, 
but service with devotion, and not just devotion, but devotion as exhibited by service. So I think we're supposed to end here. Questions, comments, additions, subtractions, corrections. Yes. Mm. So how do you become renounced without being hard-hearted? Well, if you try to become renounced through gyan yoga, you may indeed become hard-hearted. Even if you try to become renounced through karma yoga, you may have that problem. Because in karma yoga, you're working, but you're thinking, I'm not going to enjoy the fruits, I'm just offering everything to Brahman for my purification. But the renunciation that's included in bhakti is quite different. When you're detached in bhakti, it's because you see everything belongs to Krishna. It's not mine. You know, there, there's at least a couple times where Prabhupada uh, told the brahmacharis, you should see all these young pretty girls as Krishna's gopis. They're for Krishna to enjoy, not for you to enjoy. So that doesn't give you hard-heartedness, it gives you happiness. Here's something for Krishna's enjoyment. Oh, let me facilitate Krishna enjoying it. You just think about Krishna. How can you become hard-hearted if you think about Krishna? That's not possible. This is something for Krishna's enjoyment. Let me engage it in Krishna's service. Not, oh, look at that flower. Don't you know that pretty soon the flower will just rot? And that beautiful smell in the flower, within a day or two, it will be disgusting. <laughs> Flowers. Ah, you see, oh, what a beautiful flower. How artistic my Lord is. Just like we can see the painting on the wall, how we appreciate the artist, we appreciate Krishna's artwork. So that's one way in which it's not hard, hard-heartedness. And detachment is basically <coughs> that nothing in this world is my shelter. It's not that you hate anything, it's just it's not your shelter. And just like I'm visiting here very, very briefly, I mean very briefly, came last night, leaving tomorrow, it's a real... I mean, I stay places briefly, but this is really extreme. So when you stay someplace briefly, it's very easy to be detached because you're not thinking it's your shelter. Everybody has this experience? You go someplace and maybe you have to stay in a sleeping bag in a tent, but you're thinking, well, I have another shelter someplace else. So what does it matter if I'm in a sleeping bag in a tent? You all follow If you think it's your shelter, then you say, oh, I've got to make it perfect, and if it's not like this, I have to fix it. Hmm? If I thought that the room I'm staying in for two nights, that that was my shelter, then I would be very disturbed. I'd think, oh, I don't know if I want the bed like this, maybe I'll put the table over there, and what about the bathroom should be like this, and I need this, and I need that. What about this, and what about this? And I'd always try to fix everything, and then I'd be fighting with other people. How come you didn't do it like this? What about that? 
And I'd get all involved in the temple politics. And I'd try to fix the temple president. Of course, he has nothing to fix, but I would look for something and try to fix it. And I would try to fix all the devotees and try to make everything exactly the way I wanted and control everything. But if I think this is not my shelter, my shelter is someplace else, why would I want to do that? It wouldn't matter. I'd just be peaceful. Well, I wouldn't be hard-hearted. It's not that you'd say, I don't care. No, you don't care. You just know I have a shelter someplace else. Even if there's something wrong with this, it's not, it's not my shelter. You know, my wife may have so many problems, my husband may have so many problems, but they're not my shelter. Janaka, Janaki, Janaki, Prabhu Guru, Pati, Guru, Sarvamai. Krishna is my real husband. Krishna is my real friend. Krishna is my real everything. I don't have to make my son perfect. Krishna is my son. I don't have to make my friends perfect. Krishna is my friend. If I already have the perfect friend and the perfect lover and the perfect this and the perfect that and the perfect that, then I can just appreciate everybody else. I don't have to be hard-hearted to them. Why do I have to be hard-hearted to them? If I already have my own shelter, then I can see other things and just appreciate them. The problem is, attachment comes when you think that things are your shelter. You think this place, this person, this sorry, this whatever, is going to meet my needs. So it's not that you hate them. You know, materially, you have this bogatiyaga, bogatiyaga, bogatiyaga. I'm going to enjoy you, and you're going to meet my needs. Oh, you're not meeting my needs. I'm going to renounce you. I hate you. Whether it's your car, whether it's your, you know, whatever. Some other person, a place, a person, a thing. You know, this is going to satisfy me. Oh, it didn't satisfy me. Now I hate it. Now I harden my heart. Yes? I was so disappointed in my relationship with my whatever, fill in the blank, mother, father, son, brother, daughter, husband, wife, whatever, guru, disciple, whatever it is. I was so disappointed in that relationship. They cheated me. They weren't God. I'm never going to have a relationship again with anybody. And you can't do that. And then again, you're like, oh, I want a relationship with somebody. Oh, are you going to be God for me? Are you going to be God? Oh, no, you're not God. <laughs> Close the heart again. But if you've already got your relationship with God, then you can be open-hearted to everybody because you're not looking for anything from them. You don't need anything from them. You already got what you need. Why would you be cold-hearted? You'd neither be needy nor cold-hearted. And everything you're doing, you're doing for Krishna. Why would you not care? You care because it's Krishna's business. You want to do it nicely for Krishna. You don't care yourself about enjoying the fruit because you're enjoying your relationship with Krishna. Now, 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 now. Who cares for the fruit? You're not doing it for the fruit. You're doing it for your relationship with Krishna. Now, and now, and now, and now, and now. You want to do it nicely because you're doing it for Krishna. But if the fruit is terrible, if, if the result is a failure and it's a catastrophe, you know, you're... You're disappointed you didn't get to offer Krishna the fruit, but you're offering Krishna yourself every moment, every moment, every moment, every moment, every moment. So that's why bhakti includes renunciation. Everything you seek to gain from renunciation, you can find in bhakti. Try to find renunciation separately, you'll become hard-hearted and disappointed. And that's true for all these things. Any of these things you try to find separately, you'll become disappointed. If you find them within bhakti, as part of bhakti, then you'll find the perfection of those and you'll be fully satisfied.
Is that all right? That's an excellent question. Thank you very much for asking that question. Anyone else have any other questions? Yes. Uh, yes. I'm interested in what you uh, will say to what I want to say. Uh, it's that I came here four weeks ago and uh, so started Rati in service and I uh, realized that as soon as I go out of the Rati and start my service, and I really try to, to, to remember, oh, this is for Krishna and this is for Krishna and this breath I'm taking is for Krishna and this place of thing I'm putting there is for Krishna. And, uh, but it's so easy to forget. Mm. All the time I forget. Mm -hmm. so, one, once in ten minutes. Mm, that's pretty good. <laughs> oh, thank you. So tell me, do you know how to walk? Can you walk? Yes. Do you have to think about it? No. You just walk, right? Have you ever seen a baby learn how to walk? Yes. You have. Okay. Who here has, has seen a, a child learn how to walk? Please raise your hand if you've seen a child learn how to walk. Okay, your own child or a nephew or a brother or sister. So how does that happen? Do they just go from lying down to jumping up and running? No. What do they do? First they stand up usually holding on to something, yes? Yes. And how long can they stand up for that first time? Not very long. A couple seconds. And then they fall down. Do they get discouraged? Does the baby get discouraged? No. And they even get bruised, by the way. And we all did this. The babies, they get bruised. They get, they get injured when they fall. But still, they get up again. And do the parents and the brothers and sisters, do they just say, oh, look, you're spending all the time on the ground, only one second, Bob? Do they do that? No. The one second the child stands up, everybody gets very excited. And the mother and father, they call their parents and they call the other relatives. And nowadays they post something on Facebook, you know, or Twitter or something like that. And they say, he just stood up for two seconds. Then after a while, you stand up without holding on to something. Again, just for a couple seconds, then you fall down. And you do that for a long time. Weeks, usually. And then we took one step. Just one step. And you see the baby when they take one step. Their whole face lights up. They go, <laughs> and they fall down. <laughs> and after that, maybe three steps. And even once the child is walking, their walking is very awkward. If you see a very young child, we call them a toddler. They, they kind of walk funny, kind of from their hips. They kind of walk like this. You've seen little children walk? It's not very graceful. And even then, they often fall down. Or they walk into things. I remember my oldest son at one point, he always had a bruise on his forehead because he was always walking into walls or things. Why? Because they're so focused on walking that they, they don't know what's around them. So Rupa Goswami compares the process of sadhana bhakti to a child learning how to walk. It's inherent in the child. Walking is part of the, of the child. One of the, the things that they look at to see the health of a newborn baby, it's called the Apgar score. You hold up the newborn baby and you see if it naturally moves one foot in front of another. So this is brand new baby, as soon as they come out of the womb. So this walking tendency is naturally there. But still, one practices it. So bhakti is exactly like that. So if you can think of Krishna once every ten minutes, celebrate it, just like the child learning how to walk. 
And if you celebrate that, rather than beating yourself up over the nine minutes you forgot Krishna, because the, the child learning how to walk doesn't do that. The child learning how to walk, it's not that they fall down and they just lament. Maybe for a moment, but then they get up again. Right? Maybe they cry for a minute. And immediately they're back up again and they're trying again. They're, they're focusing on their successes. So, you know, one minute out of every ten, so we could calculate how many minutes that is in the day. And then you can, when you go to bed that night, you can think, how many minutes was I meditating on Krishna today? That would be quite a lot, one out of every ten minutes. So let's see, so there's, that would be six minutes an hour, and six times 24 would be what? 96 minutes? No. Six times four is 24. 42 minutes? 142. 142 minutes you're thinking about Krishna. If you think about Krishna once every 10 minutes, that's 142 minutes you were meditating on Krishna. Something like that. You figure it out. That's a lot. About two and a half hours you were meditating on Krishna during the day. Very good. Next day, try to make it a couple minutes more. Next day, try to make it a couple minutes more. And pretty soon, just like now, we're running. And we don't think about it. And we're not falling down and bumping into things generally. Yeah? So like that. Is that all right? Yes. Thank you. All glory to Shiva Prabhupada.